Well, hey, as you make your way back to your seat, if you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Welcome to J. Prez. My name is Dustin, and uh, thank you for being at worship with us this morning. Uh, if this is your first Sunday, welcome. We are going through the Lord's Prayer right now for the next few weeks, and uh, it'll finish up around Lent when Lent kicks off. Uh, but right now, we're looking really just at verse 9, uh, the idea of what does it mean that God's name is to be hallowed. So if you can grab a Bible, turn to page 964. We're in Matthew chapter 6. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word out in front of them as we're going to be looking at the Bible quite a lot. With that in mind, friends, hear the word of the Lord to us. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Friends, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask right now by your power that we would hallow your name, that you would give our minds understanding as to what it means, and Lord, that you would help us to see more and more your holiness and your beauty and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated and keep that Bible open right now. And uh, can anybody tell me now that we're out of Christmas what sacred season we are in life? Anybody know? Colors change. There's all kind of ritualistic meals that people partake of. You are planning one of these hallowed meals right now, I'm sure. Uh, you know, anybody know what sacred season we're in right now? Anybody know? I, the colors have changed in the church. You know, anybody, what sacred season of life are we in? We are in the season of life where people start wearing certain colors and eating certain types of food and having certain type of meals called the NFL playoffs. <laughs> so uh, the faithful yesterday started celebrating. That's a reference to the 49er fans in the room, also known, fun fact, as the faithful. Uh, they started celebrating yesterday. But, uh, you know, we're into this hallowed season where you are all planning certain meals around celebration, right? You're all celebrating, I'm assuming, on some point, a Super Bowl party where you will go or you'll bring food and you have a sacred meal. And you're also wearing certain colors and maybe decorating your house in certain colors. So my favorite team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. You'll never guess why I chose them as my favorite team. Uh, you know, one yesterday. So all, all that to say, I bring up the NFL because football's on my mind. And, uh, you know, famously, the, the coach, Vince Lombardi, uh, who has an award named after him, Vince Lombardi in 1961 famously started training camp for the Green Bay Packers. Anybody know this story? It's written in his biography. In 1961, the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl. The following training camp, you know, later on in the year, when that same team, the reigning Super Bowl champions, started training camp, how did Vince Lombardi begin practice? He walked up to his team with a football in his hand, holding the pigskin, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. And what's the coach's point? The coach's point right there, holding up a football and saying, gentlemen, this is a football, is to say, we're going to go right back to the basics. Even though the Packers were the reigning Super Bowl champions, there's something to starting with the basics. Because the basics are the basics for a reason. They're the building blocks of all of that is football or life or prayer. So when you look down right now at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. You may be thinking, come on, Dustin, can't you preach on something interesting like Revelation or Hebrews or something complicated? Why are you giving me the basics? Well, friend, maybe you really are a Super Bowl champion, and I'm just telling you this is a football. But if Vince Lombardi knew something, it's that you and I, we need to return to the basics always. And even though these these things may seem simple, they're not simplistic. And actually, there's great beauty in just looking at the basics. So with that in mind, what is it that Jesus is teaching us? What does he want us to do with our lives when he teaches us to call him Father? And what does it mean we called God in heaven? And what does it mean when you are supposed to be hallowing his name? They may all seem like basics, but it's actually quite beautiful. So let's jump right in. All right, what does it mean that we call God Father? Last week, I spent an extensive time talking about the word our, right, that God has shared between his children, right? So when we call God Father, we're also referring to all of God's beloved people. But right there, when it says Father, uh, what does that word mean? What is that supposed to evoke in us? Well, uh, you know, a lot of people will say that the best analogy for uh, what to call God would be uh, Daddy. Has anyone ever heard this? And it's based on things like in in Hebrew, or actually technically Aramaic, which is the dialect of Hebrew, Uh, sometimes in in the New Testament, Jesus will, or, or Paul will call God what? Abba, Abba Father, right? Which is Hebrew for Av, Father, right? So Abba sounds kind of like Daddy. But is it really uh, accurate to describe Jesus as teaching us to call God Daddy? Well, uh, there is a sense, yes, that we approach God the way that a little child approaches his daddy. But I, I, there's a little bit of a sense that I, I cringe a little bit sometimes when I think about calling the God of all of the universe daddy. <laughs> and uh, the reason I, I you know, I, I think it's true, yes, we do approach him like children. That's what Jesus is teaching us. But, you know, when we think about, is Abba supposed to be daddy? Is that how we're supposed to be referring to God? Well, I would respectfully suggest to you that maybe that's not the best translation of the word Abba. And uh, I'm influenced not only by um, you know, the actual teaching of Scripture, but also uh, by a guy named John Wayne. Has anyone ever watched a John Wayne movie? They're all the same. John Wayne is this big, bad, mean, Western guy who has kind of a heart of gold, right? I mean, that's like every John Wayne movie. If anyone ever see the movie Big Jake... (laughs) Anybody know this one? Okay, you don't need to know the movie, but there's this hilarious scene that's like imprinted in my mind as a a teenage boy for some reason. In 1973, the movie Big Jake comes out and John Wayne is this kind of Western guy doing his own thing and his estranged young son finds him, you know, his son who's in his 20s and he finally runs into his dad. He chases, you know, John Wayne down and he goes, hey, daddy. Have you seen this scene? And John Wayne goes, daddy. And then he goes, daddy. And then John Wayne goes, daddy. And he goes, daddy, like that. And then what does John Wayne do to his son? He pulls him off the horse and throws him in a puddle of mud. And he says, you can call me all kind of things, but don't call me daddy again, all right? Um, I'm not comparing God to John Wayne. That's not the point of the analogy. (laughs) The point of the analogy is there is a little bit of a sense that uh, for the, I'm speaking specifically to the adults in the room. If you were to publicly address your father as daddy, Is there a little bit of a sense where you'd think, I don't actually really call my dad daddy. I don't think I've ever called my dad daddy since I was probably a kid. And in fact, you know, when we talk about the word Abba, you know, scholars have gone at great lengths to show that Abba was a term that adults would use for their parents. So Abba, yes, that's what kids called their dads, but it was also the term that everyone called their dads. So, you know, however you translate it, you could probably ask yourself, do you call your dad daddy or do you call him dad or, or papa? 
The point is, is that I want you to see that there is a, there's this beautiful tension. And when you hold both of them together, that's really the beauty of calling God Father. One is that you really are, by faith in Christ, a child. You can call God Father, Dad, Papa. But the point of calling him Father is also held in this beautiful tension that holds all of life together when we remember that the purpose of calling him Father is also to honor him. Hallowed be thy name, right? There's this sense of he's both intimately personal to us. He's our Father. But he's also where? He's in heaven. And we revere him. And it's not either or. It's both and. Uh, and this is part of the beauty of all of faith is, you know, um, one of the time, when I first meet people who are coming to faith in Christ, I normally ask them a question and I say, do you think of God as like very personal and very close or do you think of him as like sort of transcendent and sort of like out there, right? So like, do you, do you think of him as like really worried about every detail of your life or is he like too holy and, you know, up in the air and the heavens to care about that kind of stuff? And usually that kind of tells me how a person is approaching God. For some people, they think of like, oh no, God's not really worried about the details of my life. He's like up in heaven doing his thing and I'm just this measly little human. And I can say, well, yeah, that's true. He is like up in heaven and he's really hallowed and stuff. But there's also a sense where he's your father. You can talk to him about everything. But then there are some people who think, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's just always with me. He's just always affirming everything I say. And he's very close to me. And oftentimes I'll say, well, yeah, but he's also holy, holy, holy. There are angels that we would be terrified of that are bowing at his feet. So it's not one or the other. It's both and. You know, and just like when you open wider the uh, camera's aperture, it takes in more and more of the beauty. This is part of faith. When we see God as Father and as holy, we're seeing him more and more for who he truly is, which makes us glorify him more. So all that to say, you know, as we approach God as Father, it should be incredibly personal to you, and it should be making you bow down even more, right? It's both of those amazing things held in tension together. So uh, that then brings up maybe another question in your mind as we think about calling God Father. Why, why is he Father? Why isn't he Mother? Why don't we call God Mother? You know, I've had people ask me before in the past, why can't we call God Mother? Well, the basic answer is simply because that is how God has chosen to reveal himself. And when we approach him as Father, we have to recognize, no, God is not male or female, right? He's spirit. But that is how God has revealed himself. And we would do great disrespect to him, to try to rename God, right? If you were to read the Bible, you'll know that early on, even in the book of Genesis, the right to name something shows that you have authority over that thing. So who names all of the animals? Adam names all of the animals as a sign of his authority, right? So naming something is a sign that you have authority over it. Just like if you're a parent in the room, when you name your kid, that's the name, right? That's one of the things you get to have a privilege of is being a parent, giving your kid a name, so if you and I were, though, to look at the God of all of creation, the God who made the cosmos and the universe, the God who made you in his own image, and say, well, let me rename you in a different way. <laughs> Do you see how actually disrespectful that is? So then you may say, okay, well, I don't know about this whole father thing. Why can't we just call him creator? Why can't we just call him creator? Well, what I want to suggest to you, if you were to look down at Matthew 6, verse 9, when it says, our father... I want you to realize how profound that is. Of all of the names of God that the Bible gives us, El Shaddai, Elohim, right? El, all of the names of God that we have. 
Jesus wants you to approach God as father, as father, a beloved father. And he's not, yes, he is the creator of the universe, but if God at his core is creator, that would mean that he would need creation to be who he is, right? So God at his core is not the creator. God at his core is actually being revealed to you right now. If you want to know what God is, God is father. I mean, think, think about it this way. When Jesus is teaching on this in, in Matthew, uh, excuse me, excuse me, John 17, 24, and this is the high priestly prayer. So this is Jesus's long prayer at the night before he's betrayed. And listen to how Jesus talks about God. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. It's John 17, 24 through 26. There's a lot going on in that passage, but I want you to recognize that Jesus gives us an answer as to what God was doing before creation. <laughs> Have you ever wondered that? Like, what was God doing before he created the world? I mean, what was he doing? If he's creator, what did he do before creation? Well, actually, Jesus gives you the answer, and it's utterly profound. And what's the answer? God was loving the Son, and the Son was loving the Father. And the Holy Spirit was at work in the love between the Father and the Son. And what Jesus says in the high priestly prayers, he says, Father, you have sent me so that I can bring all of my people into that loving relationship between the Father and the Son. So what was God doing for all of eternity? God the Father was loving the Son. What was God the Son doing for all of eternity? Glorifying and honoring the Father. And what was the Holy Spirit doing? Enjoying the fellowship of the Father and Son for all of eternity. And when you call God Father, you step into that Trinitarian relationship of love. God did not create the world because he was lonely. He did not create you because he was lonely. He created you as an expression of the love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now he is on a mission of adopting his wayward children back into the family. As Jesus says, so that the love that you have for me can be in them and I in them. He's not just creator, he's the father. And by faith in the son, you and I can enter into that relationship. Gosh, I love that so much. Uh, this was uh, a profound point uh, pointed out to me in a book called Delighting in the Trinity, an introduction to the Christian faith. Um, if you ever want to read a book of theology, I'd encourage you to read this short little book. It's probably only 120 pages. Uh, in fact, uh, this year, as you'll find out at, at base camp tonight, uh, we've uh, kicked off something we're calling the Reading Challenge. Uh, you can read about it in the hallway in the back of the church. But I'm asking each of you to commit to reading three things this year. And I know nobody reads anymore and everyone does audiobooks and stuff, but I really want you to try to read these three things this year if you can. Uh, number one, I'm asking everybody to read God's Word every day. Right? Read God's Word every morning. We have a bunch of ways you can do that. Secondly, though, I'm asking everybody to read this short little work of theology, Delighting in the Trinity. 
If you're going to do a discipleship group like we were just talking about, maybe your small group could read this book and talk about it. Thirdly, we're going to ask everybody to read a spiritual biography, uh, which is just a little, you know, person's testimony of how they came to faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an awesome one. You can find out about it tonight at base camp. And uh, the guy who wrote it is going to be coming and preaching for us uh, later this year. But all that to say, um, you know, I love this so much. You know, he says uh, in this idea about understanding God as Father. Uh, Michael Reeves, writing in this book, he says, Father, he says, you loved me before the creation of the world. And that is the God revealed by Jesus Christ. Before he ever created the world, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. God has revealed himself to be not first and foremost creator or ruler, but father. Friends, there's so much beauty in the fatherhood of God. This is why you can go back as early as people like Cyprian and Eusebius and all the cool old churchy names from church history, and they'll all say the same thing. In calling God father is all of the sum total of the gospel. Because to call God father, you have to approach him through faith in his son, recognizing that the son died for you, that he was raised to life in the resurrection so that we would have new life by the Spirit. And by his merits, we can approach God as beloved Father. Isn't that so beautiful? I mean, uh, earlier in the service, I read to you Galatians 4, and I want you to see the gospel at work. And Galatians 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, that is, at just the right time in human history, God sent forth his son, Jesus, who was born of a woman, named what? Mary. Born under the law, meaning he had to obey all of the Old Testament law, but his mission was to redeem those under the law. Nobody here has fulfilled all of God's law perfectly, so Jesus has come to save us from our sins so that you and I might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son, there's the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying what? Abba, Father. Don't you love that? You see that Trinitarian focus? The Holy Spirit, by faith in Jesus, is in our hearts, teaching us to approach God as Father. And Christ Jesus himself earned that for you. So then, Christian, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, this idea about being an heir just means that everything that God has planned for this world, for a new heavens, for a new earth, for your new resurrected body one day when he returns. All of those things are yours because Christ has earned them for you. So when you and I say that we are the sons of God, it's not that we're all saying it's only for men. Of course, the point is that sons receive the inheritance. This is, this is why we sing that great hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Thou my true father and I thy true son. Now, my sort of last objection that you may be thinking, okay, so I, I get this idea that God is Father, that Christ makes this possible. I guess that he wasn't just creator. But you may be thinking, I had a really bad father. So every time, Dustin, you say God is a father, I'm only thinking of my mean or abusive or my jerk for a father. How can God ever be father when my personal experience of him was so terrible? Uh, well, friends, I want to... Uh, First off, sympathize with you and say, I'm very sorry you had a, a horrible father, but that is not the kind of father that God is. 
God is not the father that abandons. He is not the father that leaves. He is the father that always pursues, that always loves, and that always chastises for your good. And any time that we use terms like father, you know, we always need to remember that, um, you know, whenever we make a, you know, comparison, there's always more of a dissimilarity than a similarity when we talk about God, right? God on some level is ineffable. He's unexpressibly beautiful, right? So when we say God is father, the point is not he's like my dad. The point is that he's unlike any other father. He's the greatest father that we could ever imagine, so with that in mind, this is, I think, why we start to see that the very first thing that you and I are supposed to pray in the Lord's Prayer, when you look down at it, look at it, right? It's our Father. Uh, there's this personal intimacy. There's an assurance that God cares about you, cares about every detail in your life. He loves you like the greatest father you could ever imagine. Even if you had a bad father, this is the perfect father your heart has always longed for. But this father is holy and righteous and holding the righteousness and holiness of God in tension with his personalness to you is what hangs all of your life. Both of those things in tension are what carry you through life. It's both and. But what does it mean then if you look down, when it says in heaven, our father in heaven, right? What does that mean? Does that mean that God is like far, far away? We have to like yell really loud because he's like way off in heaven. Well, the word the heavens, we're going to focus more on that next week, but I just want to remind you that the word heavens uh, or heaven right here is just helpful language for thinking about that sort of inexpressible realm, the spiritual realm, right? Uh, we're kind of looking into not just the physical world, but the spiritual world. And heaven is the part of that spiritual world where God is and he reigns. But when the Bible talks about heaven and earth, the point is not that heaven is far, 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 far away and earth is way down here. When you read the Bible, actually, these things are always very close. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth. And when we are on earth, we are to refer to God who is in heaven. So it's not saying that God's far, far away, so you need to shout when you pray because he may not hear you. It's actually a recognition of his holiness, that he exists in this whole other realm. Uh, this is hard to explain, right? But this is part of the the beauty of prayer. Think, think about it this way. Uh, right now, what makes God praiseworthy? What makes, what makes God worthy of all praise and glory? You know, uh, I think today, sort of in our American society, at least in, in my mind, it's so easy to say, you know what makes God praiseworthy? Is that he loves me. He loves me. Me. He loves me. I'm, I'm loved. That's what makes God worthy of all praise. And I think, well, yes, that's true. God loves you and he loves me and that's all true. But is that really why we praise God? Do we really turn it into something about ourselves? Uh, think, think about it this way. Um, the closest analogy I can kind of give is, you know, um, uh, years ago uh, on my wedding day, uh, it was great if you've ever, you know, been able to, to marry somebody, especially, you know, if you're the guy, you get this wonderful, you know, moment where you see your bride coming down the aisle, right? And it's this beautiful moment, right? And so I'm thinking going back in my mind, okay, so imagine if you were like my best man, okay? And, you know, my wife is coming down the aisle dressed in this beautiful white gown, all the music is playing, all my friends and family are standing up. And imagine I turn to my best man and I'm like, she loves me, 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 she loves me. Can you believe me, me, this guy, the guy that's talking right now, she's all, she wants to marry me? What would you say is the best man? 
You'd be like, yes, that's all true, but shut up and focus on the bride. (laughs) When my wife was coming down the aisle, do you think I myself was even in the realm of my thinking? No, the beauty and the glory of my bride captivated all of my attention. It doesn't mean that she wasn't choosing me or loving me, but where was my heart? What was I longing to see? What did I want to behold more of? Christian, when you and I engage in worship or you and I engage in prayer, we are doing so because we want to see the glory and the beauty of God, our Father. Yes, God loves you. Yes, it's all personal. Yes, it's true for you. But when Moses talked to God on the mountain, he doesn't say, God, tell me how much you love me. What does Moses say? Show me your glory. Show me more of it, more of it, so that I can behold more of you. Friends, this is the great hope of all Christians. You know, historically, it's called the beatific vision. The goal of all of the Christian life was to see the beautiful God, to behold him in truth. Our Father in heaven. Friends, when you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, it's not just to be said very quickly, like we're children, not thinking about the words. It's also an outline for prayer. It's a model where you can stop at every word and contemplate it. In fact, I'm, I'm positive it's just a model, not just something to repeat, because when Luke records Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, it's slightly different, showing you that it's more of an outline than it is something just to be repeated mindlessly. Our Father in heaven, with our feet on earth, we look heavenward. He's in heaven. He's holy, holy, holy. And he's my Father. It's almost too much to take in. Friends, if you can imagine that, this is what it's like to learn to pray the Lord's Prayer. All right, so what does it mean for us in the second half then? Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. We'll look down at the word hallowed. Uh, Nobody really uses this word very often, right? It's kind of an old word. Uh, But what does it mean? What does it mean to hallow something? Hallow right there is the English word to make holy. So uh, there's glory, and then if you want to make something gloried, you could glorify it, right? But there's no word for holyfy, although obviously there should be. But right here when it says hallowed be your name, It actually would be, you know, probably more accurately translated, may your name be made holy. (laughs) Does that make sense? We're asking God to do something. May your name be regarded as holy. And it's actually a request. So if you look down at the Lord's Prayer right there, hallowed be your name, you're actually asking God to do something. In fact, that gives us the outline for the whole rest of the Lord's Prayer. It's actually petitions. It's requests. In fact, uh, you know, there are seven things that we ask for from God. Well, if you were to look at the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, right? So there's, we're praising God, we're entering into that realm of heaven, we're thinking about God in heaven, but also incredibly personal to us. We're remembering all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. But then right there, we start going through things that we ask God to do. And the first thing we ask God to do is to make his name holy. Second thing we ask him to do is that his kingdom would come. Then we ask that his will would be done on earth as is done in heaven. Then we ask God to give us our daily bread. Then we ask God to forgive us our debts as we've forgiven others. And then we ask God not to lead us in temptation. And then finally, we ask him to deliver us from evil. So what I want you to recognize if you were to look at the Lord's Prayer right there in your lap 
is we see adoration, we see praise, right? When you and I bow on our knees and we go to prayer, we remember that God is holy. He is in heaven. That's adoration. That's praise. And then, you know, you can see in verse 12 that there's confession of sin, and there's also recognition that we are forgiven by Christ. But then the rest of the Lord's prayer is actually supplication, asking God to supply things, asking God for things. So what is it that you're asking God for when you say, hallowed be your name? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that phrase being something, a request? Have you ever thought that that's what you're doing? You're asking God to do something? Well, I want to give you sort of two answers as I, I wrap up. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're actually doing two things. Number one, we're committing ourselves to doing something. It's actually, I'm saying, God, I'm going to make your name holy. I'm going to glorify your name. And then I'm asking God to also do something. So I'm committing myself to do something, and I'm asking God to do something. So what is it that I'm asking you know, of myself to do? What am I committing myself to do? Well, the Westminster Catechism, this little short summary of, of faith, says it this way. In the first petition, that is, hallowed be your name, we pray that God will enable us and others to glorify God in everything. So we're committing ourselves to glorifying God. Now, what's an example of this? Well, what I want to suggest to you, friends, is when you start your prayer, let's say you decide you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning, and you're going to pray it slowly and think about every word. Our Father in heaven, may your name be made holy. What you're saying is you're committing yourself to glorifying and honoring his name because you bear his name. The way that you and I live in our everyday life either dishonors or honors God's name because we are his children. So this is why it's great to pray it in the morning because you're committing that day to doing what God would have you do, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. I'll give you an example of what not to do. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there's this guy named Jeremiah, and he has bad news for God's people. They're going to go under judgment, and uh, he's, they're going to lose the promised land for a few decades. Uh, and Jeremiah's trying to explain to them, why are they going to get kicked out of the promised land? Uh, they'll come back, but eventually, you know, or they'll eventually come back, but they're going to get kicked out. And one of the things that the Israelites do that's so bad, why would God's judgment fall on them? Well, Jeremiah 34 explains it this way. Uh, God says, I made a covenant with you, a solemn bond, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And in that covenant, I told you that at the end of every seven years, you must set free whom? Anybody know? At the end of seven years, everyone has to go free. Who, who's he talking about? Slaves. Every slave has to be set free after seven years. That's part of my covenant. That's your rights to the land. And unfortunately, Jeremiah says, but your fathers did not listen to me. You recently repented and did what was right in my eyes by proclaiming liberty to the slaves, and you made a covenant before me in the house, repenting, and you let the slaves go like you should have always done. But then you turned around and profaned my name when each of you took back his male and female slaves whom you had set free, and you brought them back into slavery to be your slaves." What does God charge the Israelites with? Profaning his name. Because they sent their slaves free and then they took them back. 
And he says, you are not honoring my name. You who bear my name, you have not honored me. So Christian, when you and I bear the name Christian, little Christ, that's what that word means. When you and I approach God as father and we say that we are his beloved sons and daughters, our everyday lives have to reflect that. The way that you treat your customers, the way that you treat your employees, it all matters. It matters. Why? Because you bear the name. So when you and I pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying for integrity. Last thing Jesus is teaching us to pray for, of course, he says, may your name be regarded as holy, is we can't help but look around and see that other people don't know God. They don't regard his name as holy, and they definitely don't know him as father. And they don't know that the way that we are brought into the family is through his son, Jesus Christ. So when you and I pray, may your name be hallowed, we're saying, God, do something in our world so that more and more people would know you the way that I know you. And friends, this is why we share the gospel. This is why we share the gospel. Yes, we don't want people to go to hell, but you know really why we share the gospel? <laughs> this is the leap of faith. This is a test of how, how far you, along the path are you. You know why you want to share the gospel? It's because the Father is worth knowing. The Father is infinitely worthy of knowing. Do you know him as Father? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, Abba, we thank you that we have such an intimate relationship with you, like a child in the lap of their father. Uh, Lord, I pray that that would calm us and give us assurance and peace. Uh, Lord, we come to you with so many anxieties, so many worries. Uh, Lord, you know how frail our health is, how short this life can be. Lord, you know the wounds that we carry in our hearts. Lord, you know the rejections that we've experienced. And so, Father, we ask that you would just take us up in your arms and remind us of your love and of your goodness. Father, I thank you that all things work together for good for those who love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our elder brother, our Lord, our Savior, who has given us the right to be co-heirs, true sons of the Father, who will inherit everything good in this life and in the next. Lord, we think about those who are not able to be with us this morning. And Lord, we pray your grace and mercy over them. Lord, have mercy on Randy Templeton, our missionary with postpartum complications, Susanna Jaiswal, our missionary John Bueno, on Clyde Hoffman, on Sean McCoy, Harry Gilg, Gail Johnston, Paul Deller, and Lynn Toombs. Lord, on these beloved sons and daughters, would you have mercy? And Lord, we pray for another expression of your body, Eagle Point Community Bible Church. Lord, we pray that you would be in and through that church. Lord, that you would be expanding the apertures of their hearts to see more and more of who you truly are. Lord, that they would be taken up in that vision of your glory and your beauty. Lord, we pray that they would... Uh, 
proclaim the gospel. Lord, that this year there would be people in Eagle Point that come to know you in truth because you are infinitely worth knowing. And Father, we pray that as we close this service, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts everything that you would have us do and to believe and to accept. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.